Alternative 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I am your host, Nick Nanavati, and today I'm joined all the way from Germany by my good friend, Arn Zerndt. Played in that. <laughs> uh, yeah, hello. Hey, Arn, how you doing? Doing good. Yeah. Awesome. We're very excited to have you. For those of you who don't know, Arn is a really accomplished player from Germany. He used to be on the team Belgium for the WTC, and now he's actually qualified for his own home team, finishing second place in the German finals tournament. And uh, very recently, I'll come across the pond to kick our butts in our own tournament, placing second at the Adepticon Grand Tournament. Yeah, the second place is a bit of a theme with me. (laughs) Usually, we we have people on Unbroken to talk about their one loss and how they can evaluate those games and get better. But honestly, Arn, I've watched you climb and climb and climb the competitive ladder from someone who would not be coming in top finishes at Super Majors, now someone who's representing your team uh, on a national scale, international scale. So we're going to spank part one of this two-part episode and get to know you, your journey as a competitive 40K player. Really get to understand your philosophy for the game and how you improved over time and how you continue to improve to elevate your game and get onto the international stage. And then in part two, we're going to talk about the list that aren't actually used to take down the big beast Adepticon, or second place. He is playing Votan. Votan are an army that are not particularly uh, placing super highly in all the super majors. So there's definitely some a lot to unpack here. Arn, are you excited? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we start it off with this? Tell me about you as a person. How did you get into Warhammer? Oh, that's I started playing Warhammer like way back when. Like, I want to say like fifth grade of school or something like that like i was a child i started Um, warhammer in fifth grade of school that's awesome yeah but like obviously back then like i was you know i was barely playing warhammer it was like i had a squad of tactical marines and my friend had led a squad of necron warriors and we were doing like 200 and some odd point battles and you know oh yeah it, it was mostly just rolling dice but um yeah like i i played all through high school as well until like maybe about 10th or 11th grade and then kind of stopped because it uh, fell out of favor with my friends and then i actually didn't play for like i don't know like all my final high school years and university and so on and then in 2019 i discovered tabletop simulator and actually that kind of got me back into it because i was always like turned off a bit by like well I would have to like commit to like buying all that plastic and painting it before I could actually play competitive, and I uh, didn't want to just like roll dice anymore. And TTS came along with the promise of, well, you can play with any model, <laughs> and you can just make any list. And I kind of really dove back into 40k back in 2019, and then the pandemic came around, and then I played all through the pandemic and just played way too much 40k online. Um, <laughs> So usually yeah. you don't we don't hear too many stories about people playing and getting into the game through TTS and then grinding games out like that to accelerate their skill. What what is entering the game through the TTS community? What is your experience like of that? So one thing is that it's uh, I I would liken it a bit to like when you start playing Magic through Magic Online rather than through 
like playing at a local game store where like everyone has tuned lists no one's like stuck on model availability no one has like the tactical squad like this because that's what the mod what their models are it's like you know basically my first game back into 40k like I met a guy, he was kind of nice. He was like, yo, cool, I'll like teach you a bit and reintroduce you to the game. And then he hit me in the face with Triptide, because that was the meta at the time. And uh, so, you know, it was like, all right, here's Triptide versus Eldar bullshit. And then... Uh, <laughs> and that's that's uh, the know, way to learn the game, wow. <laughs> but, that, but that's immediately like... And I, I like kind of playing like that. Um, I mean, it sets the I tone, always, right? Like, if you're going to like yeah. that kind of 40k, you're going to be a competitive 40k player. Exactly. So, like, I like I don't know, three games in, I was playing, like, seven flyers, and no, I was I, trying to hold my own against Riptides, and it was great. Is this because um, you, like, actively searched out competitive Warhammer communities online? And for, for those of you who aren't following us, TTS stands for Tabletop Simulator, so it's a way to play 40k online versus people through simulation. So... Did you search competitive formats and competitive groups online, or was this just like the first one you found by chance? It's like a little bit split. I think I tend to have I tend to talk a lot about the game. So I had like a few games with different people, but then met some like competitive folks and uh, just had a ton of ton like talking to them about the game and about like the decisions that go in and like you know thinking about the list and so on. And since that's kind of where my mind goes. And so that's kind of the people I stuck stuck to playing with. Um, the server I first started playing on is not explicitly that competitive, um, though. It, like maybe compared to a local game store, it's more competitive. But it's not like it's not only competitive players on there. But I relatively quickly built like kind of a group of people who I know play well and who were you know I I, quick, I quickly got to a point where I knew like 10 to 10 or 12 people who all play really good 40k and then usually someone was around for a game at whatever time in the afternoon or evening i was awake <laughs> i tend to have a weird sleep schedule so yeah yeah i mean it definitely goes hand in hand with playing 40k online uh until the hours <laughs> a night right oh yeah but it's uh i i played a lot with americans and uh some people from asia and yeah, met. It's it's really fun. I met so many people from so many different countries. That is really that. cool. Yeah. So yeah, so, that's also how I kind of got in this weird situation where it was like, uh, where kind of Team Belgium was like talking to me like a year before I kind of did anything in the German scene because I was playing with them online, just with some of their players because uh, you know they're nice people, and then uh, I hadn't even done any really. IRL 40k yet at the time because it was still pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you think the... I don't know if you have... Um, I guess you have such a different perspective because most people get into the game through a game store and um, you know progress that way into a competitive 40k player or a hobbyist or a narrative player, whatever it might be. And you took a totally different approach, a more, I guess, Gen Z approach of just playing the game online. <laughs> so... Where do you, if you could compare and contrast the two different styles of learning the game, what would that look like? It was, I get bored quickly. I think for me, it was really good to start playing online because I, my own like model building and painting speed has no chance keeping up with the rate at which I get bored playing armies. <laughs> like I, I, I flip flop between armies like no, nobody's business. And like some amount of it is meta chasing, sure, 
but some amount of it is also that like 40k games take like three hours and like you know after you've spent like 30 hours with always the same list i kind of want to change of pace <laughs> so i oftentimes just play uh I, I change my list maybe more than would be competitively optimal you know yeah um but yeah, so I, I just get bored playing the same thing. So I get it. I mean, I, I solved it in the more extreme version of actually collecting every army in the game. But uh, <laughs> that's one way of doing it. You know, I, I don't, I don't to... envy. You. Like it's, it's a real solution you have here, being able to play any army anytime. Do you find it overwhelming, or do you actually just because I know you have an enjoyment for the for learning the game? Obviously, that's how you get to such a such a caliber of a player, but. Do you find overwhelming having so many options at your fingertips where you don't know what to try? Not really, no. I tend to... I, I, I'm always looking for the next thing already. Like, I'm looking forward to the data slate dropping and so on, because, like, uh, what's the most recent thing that came out? World Eaters? It feels so long ago now, again, right? Like, when the first leaks came out for World Eaters, someone had, like, a mostly put-together leaks thing online and was asking for games online with World Eaters. Like, you know, they were short a page of stratagems, but they were like, ah, it's fine. I want to play them already. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, I like, totally get it. I, I'm just always looking for the newest thing. So it's it's very, I, I think that's uh, a lot of fun for me like that. So does that translate to how you play the game? Are you always trying to innovate and come up with new, cool, unseen combinations? Or are you just trying to learn the medalist over and over again? Hmm. That's interesting. I like. I think a lot about lists. But I'm not sure if I'm like a really good list builder. I feel like a lot of the time I kind of start at someone else's list or work with people who are better list builders than me and like start from that list and try to like play it a few times and you know make some small adjustments that fit my style more. Interesting. So you're um, like a pilot, not an engineer in a way. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I spend a lot of time thinking on lists and like iterating on them but for example like my harlequin lists that i was super successful with were always like okay well we start at eight boat you know and then we do some tweaks here like okay well what if we play like you know what if we cut some weapons here and we make room for like a second dj and then you play some games with second dj and you're like well what if we play a unit of bikes instead and so on right and like it's it's these small details that i end up spending unreasonable amounts of time like testing practicing and like figuring out but like the core concept of eight boat was like obviously not designed by me <laughs> yeah i get that so you basically took take an army that already exists and you kind of just learn to play it learn to refine it tailor to your own liking and, and just get really good with it over time yeah i think the only like one list that i remember that was like really completely my own design was uh back in uh, this is this shows how much i play other people's lists uh back in just before the switch to ninth i was playing a eldar soup that was like craftworld eldar flyers uh drukari venoms with cabalites and then harlequins as the main like a thousand point army and that that was like that was like truly my own and i was successful with it but since then i think like there's so much information about lists online, and like, I, I, I barely go a day without seeing a cool list and being like, "Damn, I want to try that," you know. 
That's awesome. I love your excitement for the game. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can definitely it, get into ruts though. Well, as a competitive 40k player, where you see the games, you're like, there's these this unbeatable list like Deathwing, Terminator, Spam, and Guard, and you know they just define the meta. So what else is worth playing? But it sounds like you have a, a very natural candid excitement for the game, despite when it might have boogeymen in the meta. How do you keep that? I think part of it is team events. I play probably more team events than singles. Because like I jump at every opportunity to play team events. I just it is finished a this. Fact is the most fun. Oh yeah, it is. I just finished two team events this week, like online ones. Uh, technically, the last game for the Warhammer Team Championship is being played while we have this. Uh, while we have this podcast here. Oh, I'm sorry, um, can you miss it? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, this is. I don't know. I. I struggle to watch whole games of 40k without speeding them up. I'm a little bit. My attention span is not the longest, so I'm gonna I'm gonna find out how it all went. But yeah, with that, I feel like it oftentimes becomes less of like a oh no, there's the boogeyman. What do we do about it? And more of like a okay, well, but what are the best five armies in the game right now? Or what are the best eight armies in the game right now? Like because. You know, we can maybe agree on like, like between us, we can probably agree on three armies that are really, really good right now and that you should have on a team, right? Like maybe there's Guard, maybe there's Space Marines with Desolators, right? Third one might even become contentious already between like, who knows, Eldari right. or, you know, it'll, it'll already be like a question. Right there's a lot of viability. Yeah, exactly. And once you get to like eight man teams, it's like there's so many questions, right? That's true. So, so the team format, especially as you get to five and even eight players, you, it really opens up build diversity. Like all of a sudden, a demon army can go uh, be as diverse as Mono Zinch to Mono Slanesh, as an example, just yeah. for what your role is. And you could take yeah. skew armies that have nothing to do with like a normal competitive singles format, but actually totally shut down shooting armies, as an example. Yeah. Do you find that? Innovating those lists and finding them is kind of how you draw enjoyment, even these times? Yeah, I would say so. And I, I tend to play some more skewed lists as well in tournaments. Um, I think it's been a while since I played a list in a tournament where it's like, oh, you know, this is just like a very, this is perfect take-all-comers, I have no bad matchups, right? Like, German finals, I was playing eight-boat Harlequins, you know, and then... There's always the risk of running into like the Thousand Suns, and then you just have to outplay your terrible matchup. Or the turn is at the time as well, were hard. Or you have the um, Aculans. Uh, I was playing Monos Lanesh, actually. Um, what a great example. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you obviously have a lot um, so of yeah. experience with tons of different armies, and that allows you to kind of pick and play, and you, you get tons of reps on I assume. How many games of 40k do you play on average per week? Oh, that's not an easy question. I want you to guess how many average games of 40k I play per week in response. Okay, well, wait. So, okay, I can, for you, I'll guess four. Okay. Is that high or low? I, I think that's the low end of average. Like, I would say I get one to two games in per week, and that's either four or eight hours because stream games take a while. Fair, fair. I, I think I play just because of the tournaments I join. I'm probably playing about two games a week in tournaments. Mm -hmm. So maybe like three games a week-ish. That's not nearly as, as many as I thought. I could I really would have expected you to say an average of like one per day almost. No, it's I, I probably spend like that much time on 40k, but a lot of it is like, oh, 
a friend of mine has a game, I'll go watch them play it in TTS and talk to them. Or, like, you know, talking about lists. Like, I, yeah, I spend a lot of time, like, prepping. And uh, team events always come with a lot of, like, stuff surrounding them. Um, I was organizing scrims between uh, Team Germany and other countries recently. So, like, there's a lot of, like, other 40K stuff I have to do that isn't just games. Yeah, I think two different games. Again, it, it is quite literally my job. Yeah, I think so, two to three games right now is like that's pretty healthy. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So, um, how do you identify your play style? One of the things I've always struggled with with the army hopping approach is like Harlequins don't play any way the same as say Custodes, and you know you can get into knights, and and then there's Tyranids, and there's, there's so many different ways to play 40k. How do you just hop between them? effectively well one thing is i maybe how much i hop between armies like changes a little bit from time to time i think i sometimes happen upon an army that like uh, that i like a lot for example harlequins i've played like a lot i went through a phase where i was playing very defensively um this is like earlier half of ninth kind of and i think uh you know uh, I I, ha- I was a coaching client of yours in the past, so some of that is like uh, probably the art of war school of picking KG secondaries and trying to math out where you where you're going to end up and playing. KG. And look at where you are now, repping Team Germany. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but but I think I uh, at some point, and this is like a lot of this comes from learning from Liam, who is kind of li- like the uh, I'd say I'd say the star player of Team Belgium who has this style of more like, you know, like going like, well, how aggressive, What what is the absolute like maximum alla- amount of aggressive you're allowed to be in a matchup, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, there's like, like how, a certain literally amount you just of take aggression. the most aggressive approach you can possibly take. Yeah, but no, there's the, the most aggressive approach you can take is like run everything forward. And that often ends in you die. Right. But there's like... Then the most cagey approach is like stay all behind the wall, walls, and that maybe ends up with you being outscored. And everything right. else lies in between. And I think a difference between, like, uh, for example, watching the Streamers RTT, I think a lot of you guys are on the side of okay, what is the cagiest approach that still gets me enough points? I think that's a great way to phrase it, right? So, like, how can I be as risk averse as possible? Because if we're gonna yeah. if we're gonna redefine aggression and caginess, aggression is synonymous with let's just run straight at them. And if I die, I die. If you die, you die. You die. Hopefully, you die. But we're mm-hmm. embracing dice here, and it's just wild. And then mm-hmm. if I'm always about out of line of sight, out of charge range behind walls, maybe my scoring plan. Maybe I'm not actually contesting or, or holding primaries effectively or scoring secondaries. So, like you said, you can get outscored too defensive. Yeah. So, yeah, being risk averse as much as we can to mitigate how much impact is possible from the dice but still you know we gotta be risky enough that we actually win the game i think that's a pretty apt radar target for how we try to play the game and now think about this but move the needle over to instead of being not as instead of being as risk averse as you can without losing to being as willing to take as much risk as you can without losing if it fails. Instead so what does that actually like, look like on the tabletop? Because if you're trying to be like, as risky as possible without losing if it fails, 
It's it's not any one action might lose you the game. It's a sequence of I made five risks and three of them panned out and two of them didn't. Maybe those two in turn collectively or cost me a whole section of the table or something. Well, the difference definitely is when you're playing in WTC scoring, the difference between getting 5.11.9s and 5.20.0. So for, just to clarify what that scoring is, so WTC uses a differential type approach. So they take your, your whatever you score between 0 and 100 in a normal game versus your opponent, and they condense it down into a more gradient-based system. So 11s and 9s represent kind of close, small wins, draws, that type of game, especially when differential a victory matters versus 20 zero means I stopped this guy in. Yeah. And it's so this is maybe also relevant for this. Most German tournaments use differential scoring, even in singles. Um, is that because you don't have enough a, rounds to produce a true winner, or is that the case regardless? Uh, that is the case regardless, actually. Um, uh, the reason being that we um, basically, it, it's it's kind of a philosophy of like, is 100 to 95 a big win, or is 70 to 30 a big win, right? Yeah, it's almost like you have different goals for how... Because in America, if you play LVL, the largest tournament we have, mm-hmm. you just got to win your game. No one, Nothing else matters, literally at all. Win your game. Well, you kind of need to get to as close as to 100 as possible. Because you really want that 100 points you skip Shadow Round. You know, the, the, you could amend the goal to, to be, I want to skip Shadow Round. But I'm thinking of like... Yeah. What must someone okay, do fair. to win the tournament is literally don't lose. Fair, yeah. So in Whereas Germany, like, it's, it's win by certain margins. It's win by a large margin uh, is oftentimes the goal. And I've played a lot of team events where win by a large margin becomes the goal. And yeah, that kind of like, that influenced me a lot, just like practicing for WTC and stuff like that. And I've become a much more aggressive player. And I guess this question here, how do you define take as much risk as you can without losing if it fails, is like, it's a really fine line you're treading on the table. But this looks like, for example, with Harlequins, having like a pretty good idea of like having a good idea of what your army will do damage wise, if you just commit to something. Because sometimes there's these options where you're like, well, my opponent is playing Thousand Suns. And they went and just turn one, double moved one turn brick, and teleported the other one nine inches from me, and shot a boat. And like, now I'm kind of hemmed in my DZ. Uh, this is a game I had at uh, the Hanseatic Alliance Open Major in Bremen, and I kind of went, well, I think if I just like pull all the registers, I can kill most of that army in a turn. And the idea is instead of going like, okay, I'm going to put five fusion pistols in range of this dreadnought so I can for sure kill it, is going, well, I'm going to put these fusion pistols in range of the dreadnought, but I'm going to make sure that if I roll high and I get him with the first two, then the sec- from the third fusion pistol onwards, I want targets of opportunity to make sure I can, like, if I roll high, I can benefit. I got it. And so it's basically... You just kind of like, yeah... It's almost instead of trying to mitigate risk, you're trying to optimize potential. Exactly. Okay. And some games you need that, right? And some games you just... I feel like going from, oh shit, I need... Well, this Dreadnought has a 5-up invuln, and I need like two fusions to go through to kill him. So hitting on threes, wounding on threes, let's commit eight fusions to the Dreadnought. 
going to, well, okay, we have a lot of fusions generally in range of him, and we can clean him up with Death Jesters if those fail, and like we have ways to finish him off. But also, I'm going to have the opportunity to shoot a different target with every weapon so that I can, you know, uh, on average, like if I low roll on that dread, but I high roll on the other side, I'm still killing a lot. And that's kind of like this... Um, yeah, going going for it's like, like having a, spectrum, a lot of potential on the, the other end of it. You said it pretty pretty effectively. I like that, and it's yeah. I find really fascinating that you were one of my coaching clients way back in the day, and you you have studied through the Art of War War Room School, where we do teach you kind of that uh, more defensive approach, risk mitigation, that whole approach to the game. Not to say all of us can only play that. You know, Jack and Mark are no strangers to running straight for a statue, but uh, it's it's not definitely not my forte. So yeah. for you to take that and then become an aggressive player, what was that transition like learning? I think it, it was a lot of it came through my playing Harlequins, where I went from a playstyle of like, well, I can, if I just don't expose any boats and I disembark a troop every turn and I flip the marker, then by turn five I'm tabled. And the other guy scored good secondaries. And now, you know, it's like a really close game, but I might be losing. But if I just ram eight boats with four up inwounds and luxury rolls down their throat turn one i'm killing a thousand points in shooting and they are not opening eight boats and killing the troops like they're just not <laughs> yeah and it's just this thing where like well some matchups you're like practicing for teams identifying the matchups where you're allowed to be aggressive and going like, well, this is a matchup where I get to switch my like mode of operating from I'm the sneaky harlequin, I steal your markers, to whoops, you're dead by turn two. Because these things move 22 and they shoot really hard. It's like just, uh, it was a thing I needed to learn for team events. Yeah, I mean, you definitely need to yeah. fill roles within team events, right? So, like, there's defenders, attackers, people who are designed to just, you know, get whatever score they can or and try to hold off a really powerful attacker or, you know, go stomp their faces yeah. and get that big differential. So, you've morphed into more of an attacker role, which I think is really cool. Do you think that every army in your hands, you play more aggressively, kind of regardless of its own personal army identity? Or is it you will you gravitate towards the ones that actually mesh with your more aggressive approach? That's interesting. I think I there's some truth to both of those. I tend to try to play armies more aggressively because I kind of want to. I get it. When I play knights, I'm looking to hide them behind walls and stuff. Exactly. And I I always I always get like a little bit of like a oh no, oh no, when someone hides knights behind walls. <laughs> right. And I'm like, come on man, you're going to need your whole next turn's worth of movement to just clear that wall. Just you're going to get shot just one turn later. Live with it. Just accept the shooting. They don't have enough to kill you. Yeah. Like I, I was watching Richard Siegler versus Mark Perry, and I don't know the math on it. But when I was looking at Mark Perry going first, I was like, well, I don't think Richard's army has the damage to kill him if he full sends. If he just goes first and goes, well, uh, let's just try it, and sends every single eight bound in his whole army and all the demon princes and the invocados just running at him. And like just, you know, uses the pregame move to just tag two units, which sure they can fall back and shoot, but then they're not advancing and and that's only the crisis that can. So like the um yeah, devilfish isn't and so on. Just just try it. You're, just, you're so you probably I have you're three units in left. principle, right? Like instead of playing the long KG protracted game where you're trying to outplay your opponent in trade moves and jukes and jocks or whatever, just 
stat check them, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Here's my army. I'm going first. Jam it down your throat. You can't do it in one turn. Here you go. There's so yeah, much like, potential for that to go wrong, though. Or, or is there ways you can mitigate that? There, well, so this is, <laughs> see, this is the school of Liam. The school of Liam says, well, you want to rush, but you want to rush well. So you want to make all the aggressive moves, but while making all the aggressive moves, mitigate what your opponent can do in retaliation. So right, right. this so means it, like it limits their ability to counterattack you and just ruin your day. Exactly. And like when 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 you I feel like when you do it well, this feels like so like I've this this is a really silly story. Like uh after the Harlequin nerf, I wasn't sure if Harlequins like have what it takes anymore to just break people. And then I played Votan against Liam's Harlequins, and he goes first and he's like, Oh, I think I can do it. And you know shoves six boats up a flank, draws a line so one fort so he gets one fortress and the other one doesn't have the ability to move over to ki- to shoot back if he kills that fortress and just kills a fortress turn one with Harlequins. And I'm like, oh. Okay. And obviously like between Death Justice and so on he also kills some bikes and like, you know, threw a unit out in the middle and move block something. And I was like, damn, well my retaliation's gonna be like uh, I'm gonna kill a boat and a unit and this unit so i killed three of your units and you killed like bikes and a fortress and next turn you're just gonna do it again because i didn't limit your damage output for next turn because you move 22 and fly i guess you win <laughs> and i just he did exactly that he moved again and everything was in fusion range and then i died that's just like right like rushing well means like focusing down a thing that will hurt you and making sure that the next thing over doesn't have the proper ability to retaliate and that might involve move blocking or whatever but it's not just okay i'm gonna move block so you don't hurt me it's a move block so you don't retaliate to the thing i'm killing interesting yeah it's it's a layered attack I, i like that exactly exactly so this is like yeah so like you said, you definitely try to find aggressiveness in every army you play. Do you do you shy away from armies that just don't do aggression? Or do you, do you create aggressive where maybe it's not conventional? Mm, I tend to shy away from armies that are slow. Because well, wait, 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 I... Hold, hold the phone. We're about to talk about Leagues of Otan. They're not slow. That's fake. That's fake. Fake news here. Yeah. Leagues of Otan's not slow. Yeah, Lynx is not slow. Uh, they're about as fast as like, hmm, what's what's usually like move ten to twelve and shoot. It's oh. kind of in this like you know move ten to twelve and shoot. That's old old guard codex. New guard codex is faster. They move like eighteen and shoot, but yeah, it's, it's like medium fast. Um, so it sounds like you've found a way to make your. Leagues of Otana, mobile shooty army. That's aggressive, and I'm so eager to hear what that looks like. Fair, yeah. So uh, let's let's take a, a detour from this conversation just a little bit. Okay. To talk about Leagues of Otan, and you're you're taking them to Adepticon. This is your first time coming to Adepticon, am I right for that? Uh, first time Adepticon, yes. How'd you like the event? Um, the event is an awesome vibe. Like the convention is amazing. The people there are awesome. I like as I said, I know a lot of people from all over the world through playing online. So the best part for me of traveling to big events that are out of country is meeting all the people who I normally only get to talk to on Discord or, you know, just like maybe chat with online. 
and just actually like you know getting to see the faces and getting to hang out with people um so as far as that goes amazing terrain um complicated really good if all you want to do is shoot the other guy from your deployment zone really bad if you had any aspirations to hiding even like a 10-man infantry squad because like yeah. you're not they're getting Did you know shot. that going in and that led to your decision yes. to play Votan? yeah yes i knew that going in and that led to my decision to play uh the tankiest gun line i can because i was just like well i'm gonna go second half the games and i'm gonna need to take a big punch in the yeah, open. I, mean, I, th I think that's and, awesome. Uh, like uh, yeah. genuinely, you you dissected a terrain for or a format, looked at the mission and the maps and the terrain ahead of time, and then made a plan for it. And it sounds a little fundamental, you know, like right, just like you sit in your plans yeah. on shoot them. It's a very easy, not, not to be insulting here, way to approach 40k. But you had to identify that. And there were tons of players there who didn't recognize the terrain format, took maybe a more stereotypical army, and they paid the price for it. Yeah, I also this is. Like, again, I come from Magic the Gathering, and, like, this idea of, like, well, I, I don't really have, like, that one army that I always play. I always look at an event and go, okay, well, what's the meta at the event? What's the terrain? What's the missions? What are we going to be doing? And that influences my decision of what I want to take to that event. And it lets you tailor um, the best answer you can for all factors considered. I mean, you know, no yeah, shame, exactly. no, no, nothing wrong with playing the same army all the time. Like we just had Cass here from Canada, who's a die-hard ultramarine player, and he's obviously super successful with his ultramarines. And he, he's like, you know, good, bad, green, shine. He's playing ultramarines, but you, you have more freedom than that in your list capability, which is a double-edged sword because sometimes it's op option overload and etc. But you know, maybe not yeah. for this conversation. Yeah, it's it's also like, obviously, I have less reps on each of the armies I play. I just try to make that up with, like, hours spent. <laughs> well, yeah, it's hours spent, but also a lot of the way you approach 40k is transferable skill-based. And you, like you said, you came from Magic, yeah. so even game-to-game -game, there are transferable skills. You look at it very much like it's a, it's a game from a game theory perspective, and you apply the same tactics, be called the move block, you know, or stuff we teach in the war room, from army to army to army. So it's not like you're learning 40k again every single time. You're just learning a couple new rules. That's fair, yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty much quoting how Jack plays the game here, because he is allergic to taking the same army twice to a tournament. Doesn't know how. Uh, I can really relate to that, because, like, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's, it's just, uh, I get bored. What would you say your favorite army in the game is? If you had to pick one? Harlequins. Harlequins. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. So you didn't take Harlequins to Adepticon. You took somehow mobile shooting leagues of Obtain. Why don't you walk us through, kind of top to bottom, just read it off, exactly what your list is, and then we'll kind of call it off right there. And then part two for subscribers, for those of you who want to join us, that's when we're going to get into all the nitty-gritty of how Arn actually pilots his, his leagues of Obtain, the wise of all his choices, and how it all works. All right. So one thing there up front, if you're looking at the Votan list on BCP, there is an extra Warlord trait in there, which uh, I did submit like this on BCP because I'm uh, dumb and can't read. But no, the Ironkin Assistant cannot have a Warlord trait. That's in the Votan rules. Um, and it was, you know, called out and corrected at the event. Um, so Hopefully yeah. in a non-too non uh, brutal way. Um, I played without it. I didn't get the CP for the strat back. I felt okay with that. Yeah, I mean, at I that point, you're playing get, like, CP down, or there's anything. nothing to be gained from that. 
No, it was like it was found, you know, during the event. I uh you know, I, I probably had one game like positively influenced by it. If they'd like been like, Well, uh you cheater, you have to leave, I'd have been sad. But I would have been like, Okay, well, damn, yeah, I guess, you know. Uh but I felt pretty okay just being like, Okay, well, you don't have that warlord trait, you're still starting with two CP. Felt pretty good about it. Um, yeah, and I appreciate you getting in front of it right on this podcast. The internet's full of exactly. forks and fires, but honestly, yeah. everybody makes mistakes. I can't tell you the last time I've played a 40k game without getting something incorrect at some point. And it's just, it's, a, it, it's natural. It happens. It happens. I, I will say, like, I'm used to, like, for example, the Solitaire has on his data sheet, this model may not have a Wooler trait, and uh, the Iron King Assistant does not, but it's... Uh, at the bottom of the page where you read up on the Warlord traits in the um, Votan Codex. And I, uh, as always, didn't read to the end of the page because, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's just... So, yeah. Um, but the list I sent you has that trait already removed. So I guess that'll be in the description. Here goes. We have a Brokir Forge Master. He's the tech marine for Votan. He's, like, by far the best tech marine in the game. And uh, he's upgraded with the thing that makes CP cheaper, and he's upgraded with the Warlord trait to blank a save every uh, battle round. Then we have Uthar, who's the named character Haikal. I should probably note that I'm playing Great Athurian League, so I get that named character. Then we have uh, a squad of five Berserks, so we have some melee, with one of them having the Mole Launcher for like Tremor Shells and stuff. Uh, then we have two squads of five Terminators. Um, these are with Disintegrators and Plasma Blade Gauntlets. I wanted to play them with uh, the Power Fists, but my models are built with Plasma Blade Gauntlets, and I didn't Oh, when real life comes to TTS. Oh, yeah. I, I played them in TTS with the Power Fists, and then was like, well, damn, my models have the Blades. Guess I have to play the Blades. Um, that's, yeah. That's old problem. Um, then we have three squads of bikes, just the normal ones with the rotary scanner and searchlight. Uh, a squad of three Grav Thunderkin, and uh, two land fortresses with uh, double bolt cannons and the heavy magna rail cannon. That's the whole list. There's 11 units total. Awesome. Well... Arn, I'm super excited to get into it in part two. Talk about how all these little doickies and leaks of OTAN trickeries work. Why this is a secretly fast army, I really have no idea, and you're going to unpack it all. And, you know, from my untrained eye, it kind of looks like your classic double land fort and some bikes. So I'm curious how you managed to pilot this in such a way that so many others have not before you to so get second place at the Adepticon. Subscribers, you can join us for the fun on our Patreon, AOW40K.com. You can watch this show along with Art of War Unbroken. That is where Blake takes guests from around the world and breaks down their losses and how they can improve upon them. Really awesome show. Check us out, AOW40K.com. Thanks so much for watching, everybody. We'll catch you later.